Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. It's time. It's happening. It's amazing. Also with us, Jed Brewer. Well, hello. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I'm looking at our group text thread and Jed is putting pictures of ice cream, which is a product I may no longer eat. Wait, what? I, I can't I, I I'm one of these people. I can't have any the lactose dairy products. Yeah, that I'm I'm in the I'm in the lactose intolerant army. And it's it's a it's a really depressing thing to stare at the ice cream. Dude, I'm sorry, and I'm about to start sending you dairy free ice creams. So get ready. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I say just go for the ice cream and deal with the explosions. <laughs> Just write it out, man. That's that's how you have to deal with lactose intolerance. Just just blast it until it just, submits. Just scream the words, it's worth it. Exactly right. A good time to remind our listenership, should they need a reminder, that none of the statements made in this podcast have been evaluated by the FDA. And to <laughs> apologize to the number of medical professionals I know do listen to the podcast, Lynn was probably joking, we assume. Uh, so, uh, speaking of bad ideas, and I think knowing you have a food allergy and just powering through anyway, uh, <laughs> certainly qualifies. <laughs> uh, we, we've got a, a roundup of a couple of things. We, we have many different categories of emergency on this show. Uh, you know, last week we were talking about the, uh, the, the fashion labels we're doing, you know, Christian nonsense product emergency is definitely one of our favorites. This one goes in the who could have guessed that would go wrong bucket. <laughs> we have a, a couple of headlines. Um, one is from Lifeway Research. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing I've befouled my internet history by going to. Uh, but it's the headline is COVID-19 causes a church name change. Uh, the pandemic forced mm. churches across the country to make significant changes, but none were quite like the one at Stony Fork Community Church formerly known as Outbreak Church. Whoa. What? Oh, wow. That's not good. I, I can already see the t-shirts. It's contagious. Yeah. <laughs> that's literally why they named it that. Oh, gosh. Uh, in an interview with uh, Pastor Scott Carroll, quote, we based our entire DNA around pandemic and epidemic verbiage, said Carroll. We talked about, you're the point source of the gospel. Infect others with the gospel of grace. No. The church made shirts and bracelets with the phrase, are you contagious? Oh, <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> wow. In a, bit, in a chronic bit of understatement, quote, that was hip and cool until COVID hit. People didn't want to talk about pandemics and infections was because people it? were experiencing them. Was it hip and cool before the <laughs> pandemic hit? I, As a rule, anybody who uses the word hip is not, de- <laughs> is not describing something hip. I, I, let's go to the judges on that one. Can we, can we go to the replay and see? The, this, you, you, Matt forwarded us the, the link to this article. Uh, this was the sentence that caught my eye. Uh, this is from the pastor of, you know, why they set up the name uh, yeah, Outbreak Church. I want to be around people who are so infected with Jesus that every time they turn around, they sneeze Jesus. 
Huh. Okay. And, uh, Describing the Savior as an infection is a way to go. So yeah, is that messianic mucus? Uh, I mean... Anointing uh, oil, if you will. <laughs> I, can I just can I just put this out there because part of part of my whole thing is is I like being a little irreverent. You know, that's kind of uh, it makes me happy. But the the thing is, I I want us to acknowledge that there are geniuses like this who are totally mainstream, besweatered Christians who are saying something, you know, practically. Uh, heretical and blasphemous about Jesus, and it gets a free pass because he's got a sweater on. That doesn't work for me, dude. You know, I'm sneezing Jesus on you is not a phrase any Bible believing Christian should say out loud because that's like that's not that's not cool, man. Well, there is. It's also downstream of something that is very, uh, very. Uh, endemic, let's to go with that kind of language to the Christian thing, which is a lot like 20 years ago, there's a guy who founded a giant mega church whose book was something about contagious Christianity and you should mm. be a contagious believer. And it was all adorable. You people have to start coming up with other metaphors before you beat them into the ground. It's okay to and come what, up with a different one. Whatever happened to that guy who talked about contagious Christianity probably turned out great. He spread lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the real unfortunate thing is when our friends at the Sarasota Covenant Church opened their second location, and uh, that was a bit of a mouthful. So they just called it, you know, come on over to SARS Cove 2. <laughs> mm. Yeah. See, everybody thought I was going to do a COVID 19 joke, but I tricked you with a little more accuracy. Yeah, also, you know, that was that was well done. That was well thank done. Thank you. I hope this guy and the CEO of Delta have some kind of support like group chat right. going. Did you guys see that <laughs> yeah. where uh, Delta was, you know, announcing a bunch of things, but in the press release, they kept referring to the Delta variant by its scientific like numerical identifier. Yeah. So they didn't have to repeatedly say the Delta variant, which is tearing through our communities currently. And uh, yeah, sometimes you just gotta you just gotta hit the rebrand. Speaking of the rebrands, um, we're gonna have a another mini emergency. On this is gonna go in the called it section of sub emergencies. A headline from Slate.com: The uproar over the ultimate American Bible. You may remember this is the Lee Greenwood product we mm. mentioned some episodes back, which uh, has now been disavowed by its. Uh, publisher and denied it ever had plans to print it in the first place. Oh, Aha! really? Yep. It's a, just like we all hallucinated that they were thinking about it. And it turns out that was just not real. So did they give back the pre-orders? Yeah, it's a little uh, up in the air, but I, I, I will not that I care to uh, stand in the corner of a book publisher but I will say that oh, we really only had Brother Lee's word on it that this was all going to press, and you could take the pre-orders over at LeeGreenwood.ca or whatever. So eh, there's a lot <laughs> going on there. And apparently a second uh, uh, publisher has already said, we don't want to do this either. So there's a lot going on. Well, I, before the show, we were talking about some other, you know, uh, you know, funky thing in, in Christian culture. And, 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 uh, and Matt mentioned the, uh, the, the TikTokers. 
and and their ability to really really make fun of things well and i just feel like anytime something funky happens in the christian world that's worthy of us making fun of it it would be awesome if we had like an an army of tiktok creators who could then really really tear a hole in that thing i mean some of these folks are pretty creative pretty hilarious and i'd love to see if some of these folks got their hands on the uh the, the Lee Greenwood Bible and how yeah. that would roll out. Yeah. A reminder to everyone over the age of let's call it 20. Uh, you may think, you know, something about being mean on the internet, but you've yeah. got nothing on people who've been on Instagram since they were sentient. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Bane speech, but about uh, leaving mean Snapchat comments. <laughs> Well, I I think, you know, part of what we want to do on the show is discuss disturbing trends. And I think we're we're looking at a disturbing trend here, which is someone had an insanely bad idea. And uh, and I mean bad going in several different directions. There's the weird Christian nationalism of this that's not cool. Then there's right. Lee Greenwood who is never cool, and then there's Lee Greenwood who clearly is not buttoned the top button of his shirt and is showing his too much chest. And we don't need to see that on a Bible, brother. You know what I mean? <laughs> Button it up. But here's what I'm saying is, you had this bad idea, but then people got on it, and then they shut it down. Okay? This is a disturbing trend, because if that happens, what are we going to be talking about on this show? Wow. See what I mean? Maybe eventually we'll just get to go straight to the first question. well that uh, that doesn't sound like any fun that's the worst fate imaginable well in the sense of uh things being on a certain trajectory i found this uh this statement from the publisher uh who's described in this article as very uh it started off as funny and then it just got very very sad um it says that apparently this is not the first time we've all had to deal with this in the Christian publishing industry because in the in 1969 uh the American Bible Society which first published the Good News Bible put out a Dwight Eisenhower version that was the year he passed oh. away said uh it was a single the it was the, the the Bible a single page explaining Eisenhower's love for the Bible and his photo on the back even though they were deeply divided about whether they should do this, said uh, somebody they're interviewing for this. They agonized over it. Then Agony! Here's the question. Here's the, here's the turn. They don't agonize over it anymore, but there was no turning back. Oh. That was the moment of, uh, well, we could not do this, or we could and never stop doing it. <laughs> like, no turning back. Like, you, you had to, like, Hit the button that starts printing the things. Well, Lee, that's the beauty of the uh, the mythical idea of a free market is that I don't want to do it, but it makes me money, so I just kind of have to. Don't ask how that works. <laughs> I mean, you got the catalog of all the different boats you can buy, and you're just agonizing. You know, I'm going to be selling this product to to a lot of, you know, churchgoers who have no real sense of what they should be doing with their money. And it's like, it's an agony. What boat am I going to pick out after I rake in all that dough? It's, look, you know, 
It's easy for you guys to sit back and mock because you don't have a boat and you don't really have boat money. <laughs> so why don't we have a little sympathy for the agony these guys go through as they're fleecing people with not a lot of sense. Uh, Glenn, I, I hate to uh, to wake you up from the mid-90s, but no one in Christian publishing has boat money nowadays. <laughs> oh, that is, I guess that's true. Yeah. That is, you might want to recheck some of those sales figures. What my favorite thing in the article is in the the kind of uh, half-hearted attempts to uh, justify printing the Lee Greenwood uh, best Bible, most patriotic Bible ever, is someone pointing out that we didn't do it for like you know nationalism reasons. Uh, I just wanted what's the quote? The process was to let people understand why the founding fathers used the Bible as a guide. Oh, which is not a thing that happened. No. I also like people to understand the thought process behind fake things I made up. <laughs> but that's more for like your, you know, you release a version of the Silmarillion with the, you know, the history of the dragons or something. You don't do that with like actual people who wrote down the sentence, this is not nor has never been a Christian nation. Right. Because <laughs> they did that. But hey, maybe we, maybe it's a deeply researched work of... uh cultural and political scholarship by one Lee Greenwood. And, uh, you know, now that we'll never know, because unfortunately not being published, I can't wait until they uh, do a media tour about how they were canceled by the Bible companies and end up getting printed by whatever the Bible version of Newsmax is. I assume <laughs> it's called Bible Max with two X's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going Google right now. Oh, no. That's never good. Oh. <laughs> There's, there, I leave it as an exercise to the listener. There's clearly some amazing stuff if you Google Bible Max. Oh, no. Hmm. Is it the name of one of the good guys who appears in the Christian Wrestling Federation we made up in the last episode? <laughs> it, it is now. Bible yeah. Max, he he swings a steel chair, but only when he really feels like he has to. <laughs> well, the the steel chair that he that he really swings is the word. Wow. Yep, it's a uh, steel chair with the word written on it. There you go, <laughs> and he cracks you over the skull with it. the The problem is, is that you guys are saying this stuff now, and within a week, some listener is going to point out to us that this thing already exists. It doesn't matter how out of pocket we get with Christian culture, it always winds up already being a thing. The Christians have already done that thing, that horrible, horrific thing. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of true. But that means we're going to be kept in emergencies for many, many episodes to come. And on that breakthrough, we will declare this emergency off. Uh, other things we're going to be a neck deep in for a long time to come, one of which is Bridgebox, which was out the first of every month. MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. You want to get some good stuff into your inbox for only $8. We're also continuing to have a lot of fun on Facebook with our BridgeCast, premiering every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash TheBridgeChicago. If you can't be with us live, you can catch that video whenever it is convenient for you at that same Facebook page. It features songs, sermons, prayers, and lots of fun stuff from our Tuesday Bridge service. It is the next best thing to being in Chicago. And as winter approaches, it may be the first best thing. Let's be <laughs> honest. We're going to move to our first question here. If you hang on this all the way to the end, you can find some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. 
Our first question this week comes in and says, I feel like I need more hope in my life, but I don't know how I'm supposed to create hope. Is that even possible? And I think this is a really cool question. And Glenn, where do we start off? It is a good question, and and we're glad that you asked it. I I think um, hope is one of those things that's actually in super 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 short supply. Mm. Uh, and I, I I maybe a good exercise for you would be to ask yourself how many people around you that you know are are people you would describe as very hopeful. Uh, if that number is fairly low, maybe you need to change your circle of friends a bit, or or maybe you need to be the one that that provides others with a bit of hope or what have you. But hope is in very short supply. I think there's a tendency, particularly with you know the the way the culture is going lately, to kind of look at stuff online, and it's just doom, doom, doom. That's yeah. that's what the you know. They just stop calling it news and just call it the doom report. That's all that's going on there. Uh, but, you know, there's a sense of consuming that in a way where you decide that is what reality is. That's This is the nature of how the world functions, and I'm able to see it through this lens in a very accurate way, when, of course, that's, that's not what's going on. Uh, but so let's start with this. Hope is... Um, a virtue, and virtues are elements of God's character, uh, and we receive virtues from God. We don't just gin them up from within ourselves. You could be optimistic, and that's great. It's a good thing to be. Uh, that's you. You can generate an optimistic outlook within your own mind easily. That's that's a thing. Uh, but hope is different from having a positivity. Uh, and it comes from God, and uh, it's important to understand what what the word means. And if we can take a a journey to the lower depths, deep deep inside the earth, to visit the hallowed halls of the Bible Nerdatorium, uh, we can we can learn that the the Greek word behind uh, hope is elpis, and the the word is really interesting because it. Um, it really conjures more this idea of an anticipation of change. Um, it uh, it's almost more about expectations and sort of a positive outlook. You know, I think a lot of people think hope is, well, it's got to be better. I don't know how, but it's bound to be better. You know, it can't always be this way. So you know, put on a smile, and you know, that's actually not what hope is. So you again, you can call that optimism or what have you. Uh, but hope has this sense of, I know that things are going to be different. I, I Not only am I expecting that things are going to be different, but I'm building my life around that. Uh, so the, the, the thing about having that sort of expectation is that it's really only good and right and healthy when those expectations come from listening to God and, and hearing what God has to say about things. So in... If you understand how that works, just sort of mechanically, hope is downstream from wisdom. You know, you want to start with wisdom. Lord, what are you telling me is going on in this world? Is this world just circling the drain the way people constantly say it is and have been saying for the last 2,000 years? Or is it, in fact, uh, just kind of repeating certain patterns over and over again 
and things are bound to change in certain predictable ways and so on and so forth. Sometimes things get bad and that triggers a, a you know, change in values and thoughts or whatever. And so it's a negative thing, but it has a positive outcome, so on and so forth. I need to have a wisdom about that. I need to hear what God has to say. I can't just read my circumstances and say, well, the circumstances look bad, so therefore this is bad. Uh, hope is seeing beyond those circumstances with the eye of wisdom and expecting and, and have a, an anticipation that this will change in certain ways that the Lord has given us. So that's I'm just giving you the basics. I'll let these other fellows dive in on the rest. That's a really great place to start. And Jed, where would we pick it up from there? Well, I want to offer a different word for you to to use because it may be a little bit easier to to wrap your your brain around. And I think that word is momentum. So I want to go back and read your question again, um, but I'm just going to sub in the word momentum. I feel like I need more momentum in my life, but I don't know how am I supposed to create momentum. Is that even possible? Yes, it is. You can absolutely create momentum, and and you should. So here's how we do that is we start by looking at something that we want to see occur in our life. So that could be, you know, um, you know, I, I want to get a, a college degree. I want to get a, a bachelor's degree of some kind. And then we say, well, what would be the very first step that I could take towards this thing that I ultimately want to see happen. Even if, if the eventual thing is a million steps down the road, what's, what's the one step that's before me? And maybe that's going to the local community college and just meeting with uh, an admissions counselor there and getting a sense of how that process works. Here's the cool thing. Once you take that first step, dude, you've got momentum. You are on the journey. You are, you are doing the thing. And critically, you're doing it as much as a person who is a thousand steps down the road from you. You guys are both on that journey and you're fully on and you did for today, you did your piece, you did your thing. Now you've got momentum, man. And that's both momentum in the sense that you are, you're on the journey, you're, you're, you're moving towards it in a measurable, detectable way. But it's also momentum in the sense of the emotional awareness of like, dude, I'm improving my situation. I'm, I'm getting where I want to be going. And I, I feel good about that. I feel proud of myself. You can absolutely create momentum in your life. Um, you can you can set goals for yourself. You can figure out what the steps that would get you from where you are to where you want to be would look like, what the first step is. You can take that step, and you can, again, you can both have an observable sense of momentum, but you can also experience the emotions of momentum. You, you can absolutely do that, and if you're not used to doing that in your life, Man, that's a really amazing thing to begin learning how to do. It's a pretty it's not to say that you can just set any goal in the world and 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 you know, you'll definitely be able to pull it off, but you can figure out things that matter to you and set goals and journey towards them and ultimately see them accomplished. And that's a really cool, really empowering, really amazing thing. And we would love to see you experience that in your own life. To experience that that sense of of the ability to to set goals and, and go after them and and have a life that you feel better about both along the way and as a result of, of, of achieving those things. It's super cool. We want it for you. We believe God wants it for you. And that's actually where we can now link this kind of human idea of momentum with what Glenn is talking about with godly wisdom, which is when you learn that 
you can actually set goals for yourself and you can begin working towards them. You can get that momentum and you can, you can see those goals come to life. One of the amazing things that you get to do as a Christian is you can go to the Lord in prayer and say, I can imagine a thousand different goals for myself that would make sense, that I think would be cool, that I think would be interesting. But Lord, what, what of those goals really uh, do you think is important? What what of those goals do you say really should be a priority for the the life that is shared between me and you? And I think when you get that moment where you're inviting God into the discussion and you recognize that I'm willing to set goals and go after them, and God is willing to give me supernatural strength and courage and wisdom for the things that he has for me, man, now you have a team between you and God. And not only do you get to see miracles occur in your life, but you, you have the joy of that all being a journey between you and God. It's not just something that you're doing alone, but you, you have, you know, a friend and a partner on the journey who's literally the Lord. That is really cool, really good stuff. I mean, that is, that is, there's just so much life and vibrancy in that. We want that for you. I absolutely believe that God wants that for you. So can you effectively, Get more hope, more momentum, more good stuff in your life. Yeah, you can. We want to see you do that. We hope that you'll take some steps on that this week. I think that's a really, really great point. And Lee, I think these guys have given us a lot of good stuff on getting hope, that idea of, you know, this is something you can generate in some way, you can create. I think one thing that would be important to look at is some things that are going to be obstacles to that because uh, hope is something that can kind of occur spontaneously, but there are also definitely things that can stand in the way of it happening, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think Glenn mentioned something early on, you know, that that can uh that can really really hold us back and he was talking about just the kind of input that you have in your life, you know, uh, you know, news that can make you afraid and make you feel like it's all doom and gloom and all that kind of stuff. I want to talk about another potential um kind of speed bump or or, or thing that that will hold you back from from having more hope in your life. And that is the mentality that I am the victim. Um, mm. That is a thing that can really, really, really hold you back. And it's something that you can take control of. Um, the, I, I've known a lot of people in my life who have, um, who have a lot of challenges, who've had a really tough hand that's been dealt to them, who nevertheless have like a, a lot of hope, a lot of energy and a lot of momentum to, to, to steal Jed's word just in their life. I mean, and, and everybody on this, on this show has worked with a lot of folks who, uh, who, who have, you know, been behind bars and some of the folks there, they, they've had a terrible life. They don't, you would look at their situation and feel like, I, I don't see a lot of uh, hope in a lot of this right now, and yet they have this this energy and this hope and this attitude and this faith, and and they're they are you know working in you know toward um, in, in the encouragement and wisdom of God and all that kind of stuff on their next steps, working towards degrees, working towards uh, all kinds of really really cool stuff, and yet I've known people who you know they've you know they they just for lack of a better word that they have kind of a normal situation. They've had some of the normal setbacks that other folks have, and yet they're completely hopeless. And what those folks have in common a lot of times are they just feel like they are the, the victim of everybody else um, uh, has, has done them dirty. Um, they, every, everybody else has had a hand up except for me. Um, everybody else has had, has had it easy except for me. I, 
you know, I am the person who everything has gone bad for me. And I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for that kind of a mentality and attitude. The idea that I am the victim of, of the story, um, that is a thing that will hold you back from, from, from understanding what God has for you, from understanding what wisdom is, from understanding what your next steps are. You actually, no matter what your challenge is, you have the ability to to, to make a good step tomorrow to build the momentum that Jed's talking about, to uh to to silence, you know, pessimistic voices like like Glenn was talking about in his response. But if you look at your life as I am always the uh, you know, I, I am always the victim of everybody else treating me terribly or casting me to the side or taking advantage of me or whatever that whatever that mentality however it plays out that is always going to hold you back. And so what we need to do in that situation is I need to look at my story and figure out what can I take responsibility for and what can what positive step can I make today? Um because what that does is it short circuits the idea that I am the hapless victim. Um that that victimhood mentality a, a key element in that is I haven't done anything wrong. It's just that I've been served the, you know, I've been served this disaster. And so I can't do anything about that because I was doing everything right. And, and yet my life has gone sideways. Um, if I have the mentality of, I am going to look for what uh, God is leading me into, and I am going to look for what is the best thing that I can do uh, to build some momentum and head in the right step in the right direction today, then I short circuit that mentality from the beginning because I see my life as as something that I have some agency in, and my decisions, my my next step, my day, my week, um, as Jed's, you know, bringing us down into that into that viewpoint of like I'm going to start taking positive steps today. I see myself as an agent in that. I'm not a I'm not just a hapless victim. I actually have some responsibility. I have some choices, and I can put some energy and some wisdom to work uh, to make to make this week a, a better week than last week. I would encourage you to be on, I'm not saying that you have that mentality. Um, based on your answer, I, I, I don't think, or based on your question, I don't think that you do. I would just look at it as that is something that would potentially hold me back. And so I want to be on the lookout for it. I want to have, I want to think about my weeks and my days and my actions in a, in a way that would short circuit that mentality so that it doesn't get in my way and hold me back. I think that's all fantastic stuff from all these guys. Um, I was actually, um, our coworker Pete and I were in Cook County jail a couple weeks ago and the topic of hope came up and somebody, uh, one of the guys in there said, uh, such just really an incredible thing uh, that in his mind, we were asking just as just kind of a kickoff question, you know, what, what does hope mean? What is it for we if there's anything else? And his thing was just hope is just believing that things can get better. He said, you know, I've been in times where I felt like I had no hope in my life. And that was, that was it. It was, I don't actually believe things are going to get better. So when you think about it in those starker terms, it, I think it becomes the thing I loved about that so much, I think is it becomes a lot easier to think of it as something concrete, to think of something that you can, you can generate, you can cultivate, you can move towards just that belief that things can get better and things like, uh, not seeing yourself as a victim and seeing the momentum come through really play into it when you think of it that way. Move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, since going back to some normalcy with the pandemic, there are some things in my life I don't like at work specifically. Like it's not any worse than it was before 2020, but some things feel more off now. How do I know if that is just readjusting after a crazy year and a half 
or if it's God nudging me that I need to make some changes. And another really, really insightful question. And Jed, where would we start off? It's a great question. Love it. So glad that you wrote in. I kind of want to actually link back to some of what we were just talking about. And I want to suggest and, and ask you to consider, what if you want to make some changes and that's fine? I mean, maybe God is up in this trying to get your attention. And I think that's worth looking at. But just as a place to start, what if you, just as a human being, are looking at your workplace and being like, dude, I'd like to see some things around here change. And what if it's a good thing for you to see that and desire that and and that's all to be celebrated? Um, I, there's no doubt that the Lord has thoughts about your workplace and, and, and all kinds of things, and I'm sure we'd love to discuss this with you, but you are also allowed to have preferences about your workplace too. You're, you're allowed to look at things and be like, I'm not I'm not crazy about the way that they do things about here. I'd like to see some of that be different. So kind of my next question for you is, as you look at your workplace and as you look at the things that ideally you'd like to see be different, what of those changes are within your power to make? Right. Right. Because there are some of them that are, that are probably not, you know, if you, if you say, you know, we've got, uh, I, I don't know, whatever it is, you know, we, we're, we're based in Chicago and I really wish we were based in San Diego. Well, I, uh, no one can fault you for feeling that way, but uh, it it is probably not a change that you have the ability to just, you know, manifest. So that's that's noted. But if it's the kind of thing where, for example, you know, they're they're always scheduling meetings that uh, that, you know, blow through lunch and you end up you know having to skip lunch, you know, uh, four days out of the week. There may actually be things you can do about that, you know, whether it's talking with your manager or talking with the person who schedules things, you know, um, that is the kind of thing that you could definitely do something about. And in the spirit of having agency, just like Lee was saying, you should. If you see a thing that affects your life that, that you don't like and that you can address in a way that is not going to cause other problems for you, you, you should change that. You should take those steps. You should do that. Um, I think, again, where we want to begin to to bring the Lord in on this is asking for wisdom about which changes make the most sense to start with. And asking for courage, because one of the interesting things about making changes is you're going to kind of have to put yourself out there a little bit. Un yeah. Unless you're the CEO of this company, which I'm, I'm guessing is not the case based on your question, you're probably going to have to talk to people who have some authority over you and say, you know, we've been doing more A, I'd, I'd like us to do more B. Um, again, that can absolutely be done in a way that is respectful and is cool and where there's, you know, is you know, not, not a problem, but that's, that's a vulnerable thing. And, you know, getting some courage from the Lord to, to have those conversations is, is a good thing. But I think the, the main thing is giving yourself permission to be in a place in your life where you start to look at things that you would like to be different. You'd like to see be different and recognize that you actually have the ability to do something about that. And that's good. It, it is, it is, it is good for you to have an opinion about your own life. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on this show many times, and it bears repeating here is Christians have a way of saying, well, I just, I just want to surrender my will to God and just have his will be done, which that's cool. And that is kind of the, the correct Sunday school answer, but it's actually super hard to surrender your will. If you don't even know the things you care about, um, you know, having a sense of what matters to you, what you care about, what you want to see happen, um, 
that's kind of what allows us to then invite God into that process and, and try and hear, you know, his priorities and what he cares about. So all that to say, it's it's a good thing to be looking at, at your work situation with fresh eyes and say, I, I see some things I'd like to be different. We believe in you that that with some good wisdom and obviously with, with, with plenty of respect and decorum, there, there are probably some changes that you could approach and make that you would feel good about. We want to encourage you to start taking those small steps. Absolutely right. If you're a CEO who does listen to the show, we also want to encourage you to check out our super deluxe platinum bridge box package. (laughs) It's the exact same email, but we charge you $800 a month. And uh, you get to tell everyone that you're a super platinum deluxe member and isn't Mm. that worth it. Uh, But otherwise, also a lot of great stuff to start out this question. Lee, where do we take it from there? Yeah, you know... When when I read this question, I had the exact same thought that that Jed did. That yeah, this may be from God, but also you have dignity. Um, you might just you might just be changing. Um, you might just want to make some changes. I I I thought of another angle on this too, which came out of a conversation I was having with a buddy of mine recently, which was he had gotten you know he gotten a job, um, kind of working in a in a corporate setting, and uh, he he's been working that job for a while, and. Um, it was one of these deals where after being in that setting, he's, he's realized I'm learning some things about leadership that I had formally, uh, formerly just accepted, um, in a, in a ministry setting. And now that I'm in this corporate role, I'm looking back at my ministry setting and realizing, um, I was really under some bad leadership in this ministry setting. And now I know what good and bad leadership is, and I don't think I want to be a part of this ministry anymore. And it was one of these deals where, you know, he was coming to me and saying, what do you think about that? Do you think I'm wrong to want to kind of step out of this out of this uh, ministry thing? And I was able to look this dude in the face and say, I think you're exactly right. And I think this ministry situation you're describing, you are under bad leadership. <laughs> and you being in a situation uh, in some good leadership in a corporate role you're realizing, actually, I was just accepting some things and thinking because it was a Christian deal, just I, I just had to accept certain types of behavior. But now I'm in this totally secular corporate world, and and I actually am under some good leadership and and realizing I don't like this over here. I don't like being treated this way. Um, there's a there's a cool angle here where you even not just in your workplace, but in the ministries where you serve in the you know, the the small group that you're a part of, your friendships, all that kind of stuff, all of these worlds will inform your ability to to realize this is the kind of setting that I want to be in, this is the culture that I'm comfortable with, or these are the things that I don't like, and this is where I feel uh, maybe, uh, you know, mistreated or disrespected or undignified, and I don't want to, I don't want to engage with that any longer. Um, I think for, for a lot of Christians... They do feel um, we are kind of raised in an environment where, like, you just got to take it, you know. Like, your 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 role is to serve, and you you know, and uh, if somebody's over you in a you know in a in a ministry position or something like that, you just have to do what they say. Um, and what do you know anyway? Because they're the they're in the leadership role. But when you realize I don't like the way this feels, or I don't like the way I'm being treated. You have the dignity to say that. <laughs> you have the you have the, the the dignity to either have a respectful conversation with that with that leader, and maybe they'll make some adjustments, or you have the the dignity to and the agency to walk away from that. Uh, again, you may be getting a word from the Lord or a nudge from the Lord on this. 
and you may just be learning about yourself. I love the way that Jed started that out. You you know, and and he's exactly right. You got to look at where are the places where I actually have uh, the chance to make an impact. Um, and right along with that, if you find yourself in some kind of uh, voluntary role and you are realizing that I'm not comfortable with this aspect of the culture, or I'm not comfortable with this aspect of the leadership, you actually have the dignity and the agency to just walk away from that, um, to not volunteer in that role or to find somewhere else that somebody would want your um, your gifts, your energy, your your service. So um, again, this is this is the thing where we want you to feel empowered to to not only to make the changes that you need to make, but if you are in a role where you can't make those changes, if especially if you're in a volunteer position, you actually have the right to to simply not serve in that role any longer. All great stuff on this. And Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, I really agree with uh, you know the tone behind the what these guys are saying i i i'm guessing here and maybe i'm reading this question wrong but i think it's sort of been in the zeitgeist a bit that a lot of people due to the pandemic are thinking about changes in their lives and i think there's maybe a tendency to kind of poo-poo that a little bit and say oh well you know these people are kind of losing it and they don't know whatever whatever uh, but I, I disagree with that, and, and I, I think you're getting that from the answer that these fellows are giving as well. Uh, the idea of questioning things is a great idea. The Why am I doing this? What is this doing for me? Is this healthy? Is this, you know, the right thing from my life, and so on and so forth. I think there's far too little of that happening in Christian culture, for sure, and the more the better. Uh, what these brothers are also telling you, and I would I would definitely back up, is that it's important to bring God into that conversation. Uh, now, as they're both pointing out, some of that is getting in touch with your own feelings, and because you kind of can't take a feeling to God and say, is this a right or wrong feeling, if you're not even acknowledging that feeling exists. So uh, you, you see the logical problem here. So the rethinking is good as long as God is, is in that conversation, as long as you're being honest with yourself. All that is running the same direction. I think, you know, part of what you're trying to avoid, perhaps, is this idea that uh, that it is a tragedy when you compromise your values in order to change your lifestyle. That, that is a problem. That, that is a thing you don't want to do. Uh, that you, we might use the word uh, a sellout or selling out or, on, on something. And that, you know, we've covered it before in the podcast, but that's the kind of stuff that just never really works. If you say, well, you know, uh, you know, I'm sitting here with a pandemic and I'm, and I'm worried about money all the time. So, you know, I want to, uh, you know, stop helping people and living a fulfilling life. And I want to be a stockbroker and be rich and never have to worry about money again. You know, the, you're changing your values in order to change your lifestyle. That's a problem. When you compromise your, your values, when you're in some way uh, moving away from the core values uh, that you have, that you say, these are my ideals. This is what I want to live my life by. Uh, you know, you can be frustrated with a lifestyle so much that you end up compromising those values. And that is a thing to be concerned about. I think that is your concern. I mean, that's, that's, that's our concern, you know, collectively is that I, I want what I want, but I also 
value what I value. And there's got to be some way to work that out. And there is, there absolutely is. And I, 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 again, the more that you bring that conversation to God, the more he's going to show you, there are plenty of ways for you to change uh, the course of your life and the things that you want and that, that, you know, that you're trying to seek after to have those maybe in different ways that don't compromise your values. It's also true that, you know, trauma triggers a selfish thinking, you know, that's just reality. Uh, and again, that's what part of, I think, the concern that you have there is, you know, I've had it rough here, and I don't want to have it rough in certain other sorts of ways. So I want to do something about that. And uh, that, if, 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 to the extent that that is inwardly focused about what you want your life to be about and you having certain comforts or advantages or whatever those things are that can feel very selfish but uh, i think it's important to not see it in that kind of light uh, to to really exactly as lee was pointing out give yourself permission to say this is a a, a concern this is something where i have agency these are reasonable questions and i want to ask them uh, in a conversation with the Lord and know that he understands that and that I'm not just wrong to want what I want. Absolutely right. That is all great stuff from all these guys on this. And we are going to jump to our final question here. It comes in and says, John fourteen fifteen says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But I thought the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount was that we can't keep God's commandments. So what does John 14, 15 mean? And another really, really cool question. And Lee, where do we kick this off? Well, you know, I was thinking about this and thinking about like why um, why in my life I have or haven't done what authority figures uh, asked me to do or told me to do. And and I would start out by saying my my natural state is I don't want to do what anybody tells me to do. I, I just want to do whatever I want to do in that moment, whatever I'm feeling. That's what I most want to do. Uh, when I was 15 and worked at the donut shop in my town, I did what my boss told me to do because I wanted money. And when I played high school football, I mostly did what my uh, my position coach asked me to do because I wanted playing time. Um, and, you know, and... and same with teachers and and all that kind of advisors, whatever it was. Um, with with Jesus, it's a little it's a little funky. I mean, you know, because you look at that sentence, it's like, so is he saying like, if I don't if I don't keep all of Jesus's commandments, then I don't love him. That's it's a weird it's a weird thing because you know we tend to think of love as that's an emotional feeling that I have, or somebody might say, well, love is is an action. I, I saw one guy said one time, love is a disposition, which I really like that. And I, I don't know if I'm like mystical enough to understand it completely, but I do like that idea of like, yes, it's a feeling. Yes, it's actions, but it's also just a disposition towards somebody. I can tell you this, that for myself, I look at like, yeah, I did what bosses asked me to do because I wanted to get paid or what coaches asked me to do because I wanted to get playing time. With the Lord, the, you know, you're exactly right. Nobody has ever perfectly kept the Lord's commandments. That doesn't mean that nobody loves Jesus. Um, the thing that I've learned in my own life is that the things that he asked me to do, they are actually 
they they actually lead to more life and fullness for me. Um, so the the times that I have followed Jesus, I've actually discovered more life, which has increased my trust in him. That's not a perfect mathematical formula. It's not like, um, you know, every, every single time I did something Jesus asked me to do, I, I, I grew, you know, I found more life and fullness. And so I trusted him more. And so then now I, you know, now I, I, I never step my toe out of, out of bounds on that thing anymore. Um, that's, 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 it's not like that, but I have realized that the things that he's asking of me come out of his disposition of love for me. In other words, the more I grow in doing what, what Jesus wants for me, the deeper our relationship gets. Um, and, and I think for me, I think that's kind of the, the situation that he's setting up here is the more you love me the more you trust me, the deeper our relationship is, the more you're actually going to uh, walk in the stuff that I have for you because the, 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 the way that I call shots over your life is always for your best. Um, if Jesus, uh, I'm stealing from my co-hosts here, but if the Lord says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. Well, the more I find that to be true, the more walking in his ways for me is actually me loving myself too. In other words, we're just, I'm deepening my friendship with him. And that's how I think love is connected with uh, following his commandments. You're exactly right. There's a, there's a place in Romans chapter three, where Paul directly says, the reason God gave the law was to shut everybody's mouth about how awesome they are at keeping the law. Nobody perfectly keeps the Ten Commandments or the the you know the all the lines in the Sermon on the Mount or anything like that, but this has to do with uh, the growing trust and intimacy of a friendship that we develop with the Lord, where we find more life when we walk in the ways that He has for us. That's I think a really really wonderful place to start this off. And Glenn, where do we take things from there? Well, I think when it comes to this verse. It's one of those things where the 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 wording, the way that this kind of sits in sentence form, you can read it with an entirely different emphasis and come up with an entirely different concept here. So the the verse as written says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." Did you read that as God saying? I'll know when you love me when I see you keeping these commandments. Is that how you heard it? Because that's not really what's written there, but I think that's how you heard it, is, uh, you know, uh, first let me see you keeping the commandments, then I'll know that you love me, and you can talk all that love talk, you know, whatever. First, obey, which is exactly the opposite of what this verse is saying. Uh, In fact, If you can dig it, the verse here that says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, is clearly about the love and not the commandments. I mean, I don't know how, you know, once once you sort of see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, He's saying, worry about the love. Don't worry about the commandments. If you love me, the commandments, that's going to happen. If you don't love me, forget about it with the commandments. I'm not impressed with the commandments if you don't have the love. That's I I don't know how you could read that any other way 
once you just interrogate it a bit. And, and that's what I want you to do with this verse. Uh, I mean, ultimately, let's ask the question, if this isn't about the love part of that, then is God saying, hey, whether you love me or not, I want you to keep these commandments? Is that something God would say? Uh, it's funny, but I think, you know, I think if we put it that way, we'd say, well, no, I mean, that would be weird because why would you care? You know, if, if you don't love me, but you're doing what I say, then what, what, what is that? You know, but I, I think we do walk around inside our own heads with this idea that the, the obeying part is way more important than the love part. And that a lack of obeying negates the love part. It makes it not real or valid or in existence in some sort of way. It just obliterates it or something. And that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Uh, the reality here is that, exactly as Lee's pointing out, when you love somebody, you're going to tend to try to figure out some kind of way, how can I follow behind what they're trying to say here? What you know, in a rare double dip visit to the Bible Nerdatorium in one episode, <laughs> I think the key word in this whole thing is keep. You know, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we read that as just obey or do it. And yeah, you might be in the right ballpark sort of with that. The the, the word there is tereo, and it means to guard, sort of, sort of like keep an eye on something. So yeah, keep is a good translation of that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's it's more like, you know, if I say guard it rather than, you know, do everything right with it, it's a little bit different. It's this idea that if you love me, you're going to keep an eye on these things that I'm telling you you need to keep an eye on. You, you, you're going to be trying to do a good job with this. You're going to be trying to protect this in some sort of way. You're going to be trying to say, ah, you know, I've been told not to be this kind of a jerk, and I can feel that starting to happen, and I need to keep an eye on my level of jerkness because the person I love has told me this is something I need to not do. So. I think that idea of keeping commandments uh, is is really an idea of because of that love you're keeping an eye on where you're at and trying to honor that. Hey, it's a great place to take that. And Jed, where would we close this discussion out? Well, let's start by looking at a different kind of relationship for a second, because uh, I, I think we can uh, maybe approach it with at least a little bit less um, consternation, if nothing else. So let's acknowledge the following. There are no perfect spouses in the world. There are no perfect romantic partners in the world. Um, there are people who work very hard to be a good spouse or a good romantic partner, and that's great. But but there aren't any perfect ones anywhere in the world. Um, I actually Google just for fun what makes a perfect spouse. And um, the, the first link is five things. The next one is eight. Then we jump up to 20, then to 25, then to 76 qualities of a perfect <laughs> spouse. Um, I, I can tell you without reading the 76 qualities, um, I, I don't know anyone who perfectly embodies 76 qualities in their relationship. So there, again, there's no such thing as a perfect spouse or perfect partner, 
But that doesn't mean that if you are a spouse or a romantic partner, someone that doesn't mean that you can't show love for your partner in ways that matter to them. Right. Um, there, there's a kind of a false binary between I am the perfect spouse versus I'm working really hard to be a good spouse and to love you and to support you. And we all get that. We can all see how that works that I, I don't think most people have trouble tracking with that. And most of us, I think, can get the idea that if you want to be that good spouse, that good romantic partner who who is loving and, and is loving in ways that matter to the other, well, that process begins by talking to them. That process begins by being in communication with your partner. Like you, if you just downloaded the list of 76 things, which is a hilariously specific number, I'm really curious how they landed on that. But if you just downloaded the list of 76 things that make a perfect partner and you decided I will religiously live those out, I'm never going to ask my spouse how they feel about any of it. Right, right, right. I'm just going to do these. I promise you that would not work. You should not do that. And again, I imagine as you're listening now, you you get that. You you understand what I'm saying. All right. Now let's talk about your spiritual life for a second. You will never be within a million miles of perfectly keeping all of God's commandments. What? Yeah. If you're not clear on that, uh, and and you may not be because certain churches teach literal heresy, um, you, no one is within a million miles of perfectly keeping all of God's commandments. Absolutely no one. Uh, and there's, there is no amount of willpower that's going to change that. There is no amount of beating yourself up. That's going to change that you are a fallen human being as am I. Um, and, and if you want to be crystal clear, one of the things that Jesus says a lot is do not be afraid. Um, I can promise you, I personally violate that like 10,000 times a day, every day. So None of us is close to perfectly keeping all of God's commandments. But for today, you can choose to follow. You can choose to listen for God's voice. You can choose to love God by loving other people. You can do those things. You can absolutely do those things. And just like these brothers are saying, as we lean into that process of following, of listening, of loving God by loving other people, as we as we learn to discern um, Jesus's voice in our lives, we're going to have more intimacy there. We're going to have, you know, a, a deeper walk. It's going to be, it's going to be better. Is that going to make us like fractionally closer to perfectly keeping all the commandments? I don't know. I, I have, I have no idea. Um, but it, it will make for a better life and a better walk with the Lord and a better journey of faith in the same way that like, if you listen to your romantic partner, does that get you closer to being a perfect spouse? I don't know. I I don't think that's a good goal, and I, I can't really map the math on that. Right. But it, it will definitely make for a better marriage, and it will definitely make for a better relationship and one that both of you feel better about. So, again, for today, choose to follow. Choose to listen. Choose to love God by loving other people. You're going to like where that goes. You're going to like what it does in your life and in your walk with the Lord and when, in the lives of other people. And you can do that one day at a time. Absolutely right. That is all fantastic stuff from all these guys on that topic. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask if you want to keep that totally anonymous. Both those links are in your episode description. Please do swing by facebook.com slash bridgechicago and join us at 7 p.m. Central Time every Sunday for our Bridgecast or whenever you can catch that at your convenience on that same Facebook page. We're going to tell the song this week. 
Jed mentioned the Bible's many, many implorings to not be afraid. This is one that the Pool House Guru put to a beat for us. Yes, this is Pool House Guru's take Ooh. on Deuteronomy 31.6. You can also click that link into your in your episode description. It'll take you to the Spotify of that song. And there's a whole album along with some other fun stuff there over on Spotify. You can check that out. So this is the Pool House Guru's take on Deuteronomy 31.6. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. The Say That Podcast reminding you that sneezing Jesus is not a good way of describing outreach. That also goes for expelling really any bodily fluids. <laughs> do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Be strong and brave. Be strong and brave. Be strong and brave. Don't be afraid of them. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Don't be afraid of them. Be strong and brave. Be strong and brave. Be strong and brave. Don't be afraid of them. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified. Do not be terrified.